wasabi wallet. Unfairly private. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Another Friday, another episode of Why Are We Bullish? And we got a killer panel today. I'm super excited for everyone that is here. Uh, I, I'm sure you guys have seen the thumbnails. Uh, a lot of people were buzzing about this. And also, if you jumped over from the Swan Lounge, which I was just on, welcome if you're brand new to the show. Um, as always, this, of course, is live. Anything can happen. So uh, no, no censorship or anything like that on this show. So I defer to my good friend, Bill, here. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can. I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. And those of you, of course, that are just joining us, of course, smash that like button, give this a share, and let's get even more eyeballs in the room. As always, I'm Ben with the BTC Sessions. This is your daily session. All right, before we bring in our guests, let's take a quick look at where we are in the market right now. Over on the Bitbo.io dashboard, we're sitting at 31797 bucks per coin. A single US dollar will pick you up 3145 uh, sats, 89.33% of all Bitcoin have been mined. And in terms of fees, still low, my friends. If you're looking to open up some channels, if you're looking to do some coin join, if you're looking to just move around uh, some sats, if you need to move them to cold storage, now is the time. 11 sats per byte gets you into the next block. If you're willing to wait anything beyond that, you're, you're probably going to get it through no problem with one sat per byte. Uh, and with that, of course, shout out to sponsors of the show, Lead.io. You can use your Bitcoin for a variety of different services. If you're in a pinch and you need dollars and you don't want to sell your Bitcoin because that's scary, you know, taxable event, you might have to uh, buy back in at a higher price. You can utilize them for that service. Of course, they also have their Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts and their B2X offering. If you're feeling mega bullish, links are below. If you're in Canada, easy way to stack sats is BitBuy, easy web interface, dedicated app you can download. And after your first 250 bucks, they'll give you 20 bucks for free. So check them out. I do live on Bitcoin. BitRefill helps me do this. Uh, you can pick up any gift card you can imagine. You can pay for it with sats uh, on chain or lightning and you do earn sats back as you shop. Be sure to check them out. They're awesome. I just finished up my uh, tutorial of the Keystone, formerly the Kobo Vault, uh, air gapped. Um, I love this thing. It's super easy. I really love it in terms of multi-sig setups as well. Uh, the air gapping via something like Blue Wallet is pretty slick. Um, so if you want to check out that tutorial, uh, be sure to check it out. It is in the links down below. And you can also check out Keystone, which is also linked there as well. And finally, if you're backing up any Bitcoin wallet, get it in steel, my friends. If it's an important one, uh, paper is not always your best friend. Flood, fire, accidentally discarding it. All of those things are horror stories that I have heard. Uh, but enough of my rambling. I'm going to start bringing in our guests here. And they're all here. Uh, we've got Mr. Marty Bent. We've got Jeff Booth. We've got Elise Colleen. And we've got Vijay Boyapati. Welcome, everybody, to the show. I am so excited to have you all. And for those watching that don't know who they are, I'm going to go down the line really quick and let them introduce themselves. Uh, let's start with Marty. Marty, can you just introduce yourself for those that may not be familiar? 
Yeah, Ben, thanks for having me. Uh, Marty Bent, I write a daily newsletter, Marty's Bent, uh, about Bitcoin, macroeconomics, and liberty in the digital age. I host a podcast, Tales from the Crypt, uh, where we do an interview series. We have a daily news show of my co-host, Matt O'Dell, Rabbit Hole Recap. And then on top of that, I'm the, the director of business development at Great American Mining, a company that mines Bitcoin in oil fields. Uh, puts it Awesome. I love it. Uh, and, and that hits close to home because I'm up in Alberta, which is effectively the Texas of Canada. So I uh, uh, love to see it. Steve Barber is doing some good work up here, too. Uh, let's drop it down the line. Jeff, uh, a, a returning guest to the show. You probably joined one of my most prolific shows with uh, <laughs> with uh, the, the panel that broke the Internet. But uh, I'm very happy to have you back. Can you introduce yourself for people that may not be familiar? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Ben. Uh, entrepreneur wrote a book called The Price of Tomorrow, Why, Why Deflation is Key to an Abundant Future. Awesome. And it's a great book. I always recommend it. Uh, if you haven't read it, be sure to check it out. And speaking of books, uh, Mr. Vijay Boyapati, I bought the shit out of your Kickstarter. Uh, <laughs> I'm very excited for uh, I'm very excited for my color uh, hardcover special edition copy that uh, is going to be on its way soon. Uh, welcome to the show. Can you uh, tell people who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Vijay and I'm an aspiring Bitcoin pleb. <laughs> That's great. That's great. We could just cap it there. That's perfect. That's all we need. Uh, he did write the bullish case for Bitcoin though. And if you haven't picked it up, you should probably should. Uh, and I, I say that because I've just seen all of your other stuff and it's fantastic. Um, and finally, let's pass it down the line to uh, Elise Colleen. Can you let people know who you are, what you do? Right. Well, thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here with you guys. So I'm a venture capitalist that has founded a firm completely dedicated to companies building in the Bitcoin space and on Lightning, on sidechains. Um, and that firm is called Stillmark. We're investing in pre-seed, seed, series A stage companies. And in addition to that, I'm on the board of directors at Blockstream. Awesome. Well, welcome all to the show. Uh, those that are watching for the first time, very easy premise to the show. It's called Why Are We Bullish? And we just go by the three R's. Those are somebody's going to give a reason why they're feeling bullish. All together, we're going to riff on that reason. And then finally, we're going to rotate to the next guest for their reason. Uh, very simple. I'm going to get us started off. And uh, mine's kind of I guess a general reason for, for feeling bullish, but there's some, some backstory behind it. I'm feeling bullish on, um, on, on the, uh, let's say generosity of Bitcoiners. And the, the reason I say that is, um, I, I effectively was, was after Jack Maller's announcement regarding El Salvador, there's been a, a lot of chat around Central South America, a lot of Spanish speaking countries and trying to get content to them that that is solid Bitcoin content. Of course, I myself myself do not speak Spanish. Um, and I was looking into the costs of just hiring out people to do that. And I just straight up couldn't afford it out of pocket. Uh, so I didn't really know what to do. But the other day I, I just said, well, I, what if I kind of open source it? Um, and effectively, I threw a bunch of relevant tutorials that I thought could be helpful for people in some of those countries into a Google uh, folder, like a, a Google Docs folder, and said, anybody that wants to translate these, overdub them, whatever, uh, feel free. It's all yours. You can do that and then repost them anywhere you see fit as long as people 
have access to them, I'm, I'm happy. If you feel like giving me a copy, I'll put it on the channel. If not, that's fine. Um, but I had a bunch of people very nicely reach out to me and I've now got a handful of people that are, are starting to translate stuff and, 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 and are, are going through transcripts and starting to overdub. And it's just been, Bitcoiners are, are very willing to, to help with the cause are very willing to, to dive deep and feel like they're, they're, um, helping further kind of the movement and opening this up to a lot of people. And, you know, Jack Mallers is a great example of that and kind of the drive that he, he, he lit a fire under a lot of our asses with that announcement and what he's been working on. Um, and, and it's refreshing to see. And I, I think that it can get lost in, in, uh, the midst of bull markets where it, it becomes, the media portrays it as very, I guess, selfish or, or you just gambling, all, all those aspects that seem just very um, high time preference. But to me, it, it doesn't come across that way. And I think to a lot of Bitcoiners, when you've been around, it doesn't feel that way. So I think what I, I in terms of the riff on this, I'd love to hear any of your uh, experiences with Bitcoiners being good, giving people maybe helping with something that you're working on or things that you've seen and projects that you've seen that have just been generous to the community and to the world at large. So I'll, I'll open it up to the floor if anybody has anything that comes to mind that they'd like to bring in or wants to speak on the topic. Well, okay, I'll start. So I think it's important to acknowledge that the Bitcoin community is self-selecting, right? So it's, um, you know, a free to join, free to leave space. And folks that were wanting to be involved in the cryptocurrency space just to enhance their own wealth and without um, any sort of, you know, care about cultural or um, global impact of the tech, those folks have selected out into, um, you know, the ICO, the, the altcoin spaces and communities where, um, you know, there's an opportunity to gamble and create quick wealth, perhaps. And, you know, Bitcoin operates outside of that sort of motivation, I think. And, of course, there's opportunities to produce a return and get gain an ROI on investment of time or investment of capital. But the opportunity to do that is probably um, quicker and looser in other cryptocurrency spaces and altcoin spaces. And so when we're talking about Bitcoiners, we're talking about folks that are motivated by more than just wealth. Um, I think not that wealth is a great motivation, but I think that this community is motivated by, um, you know, a multiple things. And and I, it sounds like you're seeing that with folks contributing towards the translation of um, good content. Indeed. Uh, how about anybody else have in, in any of your endeavors, like whether it be Marty with TFTC, Jeff with your book, VJ with your recently launched uh, expansion upon your, your bullish, uh, bullish case for Bitcoin. I'm just curious about community response, people that have helped you along the way with those things. Ben, I, so just a, what Elise said, I'd say the, the highlight point for this was the Bitcoin conference for me. Um, and, and, and it was actually a I was not, not expecting that, but to, to every single person I met felt like this could be a best friend. 
like this, uh, the, the people that you, uh, that, and, and so you, so you're around people that you just really enjoyed it. You could disagree on different things, but still agree on most of the things and the principles around this. Cause it, when, when you look at Bitcoin, there's just so much truth in it. And so it attracts those people and at least said that really well. It also, some some people come into it just to make the money and they're gone and they're gone really quickly um, but the people that stay it's it, it seems to be it's a way bigger movement uh, and that's so powerful I, 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 I mean, when I wrote the book I did not believe I would be here or doing what I'm doing now and at, at all um and and and, and, and it's probably this is not what I get paid to do. I'm not trying to create a business out of uh, out of Bitcoin or, or or the book sales or anything else. But, but I love the people that I'm around in it. Like I love the group that I'm around in it. And it keeps you at the so so. I actually have been so blown away by this community, um, and in general. Um, so it, 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 what it would say is it doesn't surprise me at all with what you just said. I think that's just a it's a it's a feature of this community. Yeah. And in all aspects, I was like, I, personally, I've had Bitcoiners reach out to me to help with the podcast, the newsletter, information, give tips about Great American Mining. Everybody's wants to help out. And again, it's the, the open source distributed nature of the protocol. It's the beauty of it. It's like, if not me, then who? So people feel compelled to to help out and with the translations and things like that. Like most of the content is predominantly in English, at least that I'm aware of, especially the written content needs to be translated and, and spread throughout uh, other lands with other languages and beyond that like bitcoin beach is doing down there i mean that's uh, the epitome of generosity and that anonymous bitcoiner donated thousands of bitcoin to, to get this initiative off the ground and it seems to have made significant he headway and and could uh, potentially uh, contribute to uh, an roi on his his other his Bitcoin stash that he's holding because it seems that the the buzz that they made in El Zante specifically was enough to get the attention of of the president. Uh, and I think you can make a very strong argument that it contributed to El Salvador uh, making Bitcoin legal tender. And then on top of that, in, in El Zante, in that specific community, I mean, just recently, I believe there was, uh, I mean, Mama Rosa was uh, a, a very strong member of the community down there. She had some medical issues in uh, the, the Bitcoin Beach team, uh, shared hair lightning network, uh, public key and, and Bitcoiners from all over the world donated to her. I mean, we've seen this time and time again. Again, it is the the grassroots open source nature of the network, which goes beyond the, the code. It's also social as well. Um, and it's the way it should happen, right? At the end of the day and beyond that, you get the dev grants, um, and uh, again, just the free flow of information about what's going on to try to educate people. So for me, uh, I mean, there are, there are Bitcoiners all around the world and there are a lot of countries and languages where they don't have that much educational content. And the thing that really blew me away was people volunteering to translate my writing. Uh, I mean, my article is pretty long and it takes quite a lot of effort. I mean, hours and hours and hours uh, of work to, to translate it. And I had people from all around the world in 20 different languages 
reach out to me and say, I really want to translate this. And that's really humbling to, you know, to, to, to think there are other people who have the same uh, passion and belief in Bitcoin that they want to put in the time uh, really at not much personal benefit to themselves, but at, to a benefit to their community or the people who speak their language. That was really humbling. And and when I wrote my book, the other the other thing I'm really grateful for is all of the help I got from other authors in the space, people who'd written Bitcoin books, um, people like Nick Bhatia and, and Safer Dean, uh, Jan Pritzker. I mean, a whole bunch of them who I reached out to and, and I I asked for their advice and said, "What I, I've never published a book. What should I do here?" And and they gave me really great advice, which uh, helped me along my way and you know pointed me in the right direction. Like to to self publish, for instance, uh, I never would have thought of that, and they they all pointed me in that direction. Um, so I'm I'm grateful for the amount of help I've gotten from the community. Certainly, the point you're making applies really strongly to me. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it, it's. Um... It's great to see. I like Marty's point too about uh, you know Bitcoin. Uh, you know, if not me, then who? And uh, I think it ends up being a bit of a call to action for everybody. So um, those that are passionate and get what this is about, they're 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 willing to jump into the fray and and do some work. So um, I guess my hats are off to Bitcoiners in general uh, for being a a, a a great bunch. Um, by the way, I think. Uh, uh, I was saying in the Swan Lounge before this, um, I I made a bunch of cold card videos and there's like a ref link in there and it tends to build up and I just have everything coin kite already. So uh, keep those comments coming. I'm going to randomly pick somebody today and uh, I'll, I'll buy you a block clock as long as you're uh, as long as you trust me with your information to uh, ship it to you. Uh, I know they're back ordered, but I'll, I'll still put in an order because I've just got built up. Um, coin kite referral like stuff so block clock coming to somebody um but uh let's keep this show rolling uh Wait, before we go on can yeah. i add something to marty's yeah, point 100%. so i liked how he called out the fact that the nature of the decentralized network calls for um this sort of behavior of people like helping one another out and I think a piece of that is that it, one of the, you know, we're, Bitcoiners are not a monolith, right? So we value very different things. There's all, there's people of all sorts of political affiliations. Um, but one thing we know that we all have in common by valuing decentralization is that we believe everyone, regardless of who they are or how much wealth they have, um, everyone should have equal access to financial tools and a platform and an ability to verify um, the, the record of transactions, all of that. And so I think it speaks to the sort of unifying value set that we have, even though we're, the community is, um, you know, so diverse in, in their, their principles otherwise. And so I, you know, just what's emergent of that from that is collaboration. Absolutely. Well, I, yeah, a hundred percent. Um, again, I, I love the community and, uh, and it's, it's been humbling to see, uh, when people, um, need a hand, people are, are willing to, to reach out and offer it. So, um, with that, I'm going to keep this panel rolling. I'm going to get onto our next reason for being bullish. If you're in here, 
make sure you smash that like button. Give this a share. Let's get some more people in here. Um, and I'm going to toss it to VJ first here. I know you're, you're tight on time. You got family stuff going on this evening, and I'm glad that you could join us. So we're going to get in your reason for being bullish, and we'll start uh, riffing on it uh, as soon as you, you, you get it out. So, dude, what has you feeling bullish this week? Well, I, I, you know, I think there are a lot of reasons to be bullish about Bitcoin right now. I could talk about a ton of different things. The fundamentals, I think, have never been uh, as strong. But, you know, I'll choose a simple one, and that's that a block was mined very recently. Uh, 12 minutes ago, block 6991334 was mined. Uh, and so Bitcoin continues to operate uh, as expected and as it was designed without interruption. Uh, and, and just recently, we saw one of the most powerful nation states attacking Bitcoin, yet it continues to function without interruption. This is one of the most resilient systems on Earth, uh, perhaps the most resilient system on Earth. It, you cannot kill it. Uh, and it's a system which makes something very important possible, which is I can send value to anyone on Earth without anyone else's permission. And that's that's never been possible before. This is a, a historic development. And the system itself, just ticking away this heartbeat, beating, you know, about every 10 minutes consistently without interruption uh, is really what makes me bullish. Bitcoin is not going away. Uh, and despite what people think, uh, it, it, it's a system that uh, allows something very, very powerful. Uh, it, it's a system for human freedom. Um, and, and it's not going to be wiped wiped away. So uh, the, the fact that it continues to exist despite uh, the efforts of various people or institutions that don't like it is what makes me feel really bullish. I love that. Uh, I, and it, I mean, especially given the last few months with the unprecedented amount of FUD that we've seen in the news, whether it be, uh, you know, it's it's being banned and actually kind of successfully this time around in terms of mining in China. Um, uh, you know, I know Marty's blown a gasket over the ESG stuff as of late. Um, I know that, you know, there's there's just uh, even with the, the downward difficulty adjustment in regards to China, um, we still at least a little bit saw the the mining death spiral theory. Um, playing out uh, for the umpteenth millionth time, like it's it's crazy to see. But you're absolutely right. The longer it exists, the the more these narratives just drop away because one when it doesn't kill it and it's still there, people have to face that reality. So I, I, I'll pass it to the rest of the panel if anybody has thoughts on what VJ just said. Yeah. I don't think people realize the gravity of the migration out of China and the fact that Bitcoin is producing blocks at a downward difficulty adjustment uh, to make it easier to mine to get closer to that 10 minute block production target. Um, it seems like we're gonna have a, a small difficulty adjustment on Sunday of this week as well after that. But uh, you have literally estimates range from anywhere from 50 to 70% of hash rate getting forced out of a country and forced to move uh, outside of those borders, uh, obviously slowing down blocks for a period of time, but we had that difficulty adjustment, as VJ said, blocks are still being produced. And I think that will be looked back on the, the Chinese banning of the mining and the mining industry successfully. Or, well, it's still yet to be determined if it's completely successful, but it seems that miners are coordinating to, to get those machines plugged in elsewhere around the world, and some are getting plugged in. Um, 
already uh that that is a huge testament to to the resiliency of the bitcoin network um and uh it's proof of work consensus mechanism specifically like if, if you try to shut it down in one country the miners will just get up move find cheap power elsewhere um and plug back in and, and things will be uh back back to normal uh and it's it's beautiful to see and i think we will look back on this moment as like one of the once in a lifetime opportunities in the bitcoin story um that compares to being able to mine like on your on your macbook uh the the opportunity that is being presented to the market in black swan fashion with the mine mining being banned in china uh, for the mining industry specifically is is pretty massive if people can take advantage of it um uh, they're going to do really well over the next decade i think yeah, I would. I would just. I, I would echo that. It's just. It, it's completely anti-fragile. And this, I, for for over a year now, I've been calling for. You knew China had to ban this, because because Bitcoin is incompatible with communism. Um, so it it's it it's individual rights and freedoms, and and a free market and 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 the only way communism exists is through the printing of uh, printing of money and control of currency um so you you have a decentralized uh you have something decentralized up against a centralized system you know it has to be banned eventually and so 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 when this happened uh, um and it created this event and it kept on dj just articulated it beautifully and it just kept on ticking on um, and, and moving that hash power around the world. And this is what Marty just said. This is the best thing in the world. I actually cannot believe people are more positive right now <laughs> because because I mean, like it's just it's unbelievable as far as a, as a, being a buying opportunity. Yeah, hundred percent. Elise, how how are you feeling about uh, the resilience of? of Bitcoin, especially uh, given these past few months and what's been happening. Yeah, BJ is exactly right. Um, very sharp guy. So, you know, what should make us most optimistic, most bullish about Bitcoin is that it continues to produce blocks that we can trust. Um, I talk about the security, stability um, and dependability of the network a lot. And I think, you know, BJ hit it right on the head. And we should always remember that that's in fact um, what's most what makes us most bullish about Bitcoin? So impossible to add to to that um, the beauty of that succinctness. But I'll I'll say that I am on the same page as Marty and Jeff that the mining exodus from China is you know creates um, you know a, a really like it it it's in Bitcoin's good fortune that that happened, and um, you know well I I um, I don't know I suppose. I suppose I also expected it, um, like Jeff has said, but you know, it had been threatened for so long, the moment that it happens, it's still, um, you know, maybe I had become, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, it was still surprising because it had been threatened for so long and to see Bitcoin be continue to be so resilient is, you know, of course, um, allows us to continue to expect even greater things and, um, and trust in, in Bitcoin's presence in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would echo that 100%. Um, you know, with every new thing that gets uh, thrown at it, um, it's just another obstacle for it to overcome and and uh, then moot FUD point, 
from from then on in. Um, so yeah, I, I love that topic. Uh, you know, well, TikTok next block. <laughs> I will I will add to this though, like the just having uh, sort of uh, being close to the situation as the, working for a mining company and talking to a lot of these Chinese miners and other North American miners and mining pools from around the world. The capitalist and entrepreneurial spirit of Bitcoiners and Bitcoin businesses is insane. Just seeing it up front. You have people over here scrambling to build out capacity to take on this influx of hash rate. And likewise, alternatively, in China, you have the Chinese miners who it must be said, like you have to separate the CCP from the Bitcoin industry in China. The Chinese Bitcoin mining industry specifically up to this point in time in Bitcoin's history has been one of the most ruthlessly competitive and capitalistic and innovative parts of the Bitcoin community to date. And they do not want to give up what they have worked so hard to build uh, in their mining companies. And they are working hard to figure it out elsewhere. And it's just really inspiring to see um, just all the entrepreneurial and capitalistic spirit that's taking on in the mining space specifically. It's, 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 uh, I can't imagine it's easy migrating all that, all that hash rate. Uh, and, and I mean, like what kind of, are, are the, is there trouble getting, uh, outside of the, of the country for that's, some of them or it's a, it's a worry. Uh, there is a, at least from what I've heard, it hasn't been a problem yet. Um, but uh, people are keeping that on the radar. Um, are they going to stop us at the border so far? So good. Uh, I think there have been a number of shipments that have that have made it out of China successfully. But as we know with the CCP, anything can change on a dime. So, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, VJ has to head out here. Uh, so VJ, thank you for your topic. I know you're very short on time, but uh, I'm glad you could join us and buy his book. <laughs> <laughs> See you, VJ. You're on mute, VJ. If you're trying to talk. Oh yeah. Uh, Okay, yeah, I, I, I just I just wanted to say thanks for having me on the show. And I, I know I, I saw you guys just a few weeks ago, but it's it's really good to see all your faces again. So hopefully we'll see each other again soon. See you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. See you, VJ. Bye. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's keep it rolling. Let's get a, another topic here. Um, I'm going to I'm going to toss it uh, to uh, Uncle Marty here um, and uh move it down the line and i'm just wondering uh what has your eye this week what what are you excited about i don't know if my video first for you guys so i'm sorry if that awkward stare is uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh that's okay uh, i my audio thank god and uh, yeah i'm bullish uh, i mean i have a background like covering the fed and i've been getting more intent on following the fed the last few months specifically as the the inflation begins to pick up and so my topic of what's making me bullish is the incompetency of the fed and i don't know if it's incompetency or just playing dumb but the uh the inflation is running as hot as it is uh the fact that the fed is acting uh surprised by the inflation numbers that are coming in um you know, the fact that you have janet yellen uh basically uh, running a counter narrative uh with Jer jerome powell after his uh his trip to capitol hill this week it's it's all making me bullish for bitcoin but uh a bit scared for uh, the uh, the economy in general uh, i think we're seeing the the products of the vast money printing that went on over the last 14 months begin to hit markets 
via inflation. And I mean, I, I believe the inflation was here earlier, but now it's becoming apparent through the data that the Fed uses that it's here. Uh, and it seems that their inability to control their policy um, is something that people should be worried about. But in terms of uh, what that does for Bitcoin, I think it's bullish. Is it bullish for the price? Uh, short, medium term, who knows? But I, I think just the, the, the inability um, for the Fed to be able to control monetary policy successfully uh, and the fact that they're, they're setting this policy with expectations, those expectations aren't being met and they're, they're running hot. And uh, we'll see if, if this inflation bout is, is transitory. I don't think it will be. Um, and if it's not, I think you're going to start um, seeing the public ask some very hard questions for the first time that many people haven't asked. And I think that will lead to some people finding Bitcoin, which more adoption yeah. is bullish. Yeah. It's crazy how much the narrative has, has changed just this year from there is no inflation to there's not enough inflation to there's inflation, which is transitory to now we're seeing by and large inflation is good and you, even the ECB the other day had a, a tweet, something along the lines of uh, fighting the the vicious circle of low inflation, um, which I had never heard of uh, low inflation be referred to as vicious before. But, you know, how what does it take for people to to get to that tipping point where they need to ask those questions like where where? Where along the timeline are we when people actually say, this actually seems not so great. Um, and I think I know why. Like, does anybody have any idea where, where we might run into that point, that tipping point? I, th I think one thing on that, we have to be careful because inflation could be transitory. The reason that, that it, so you say labor businesses are having a hard time getting labor. Well, if they paid $100 an hour, they wouldn't have a hard time getting labor. They can't pay $100 an hour because no one would buy their stuff. So what, what happens when they can't get labor and, and prices are going up is they'll, they'll automate faster and they'll remove labor faster. And in other words, you have two different trends going up against each other. And why, why for 30 years, Fed, ECB, every, everyone has said we can't get inflation to our target. And they've always they've always said that is because technology is a stronger force going the other opposite way, and they're just pouring gas on this over and over and over again. Eventually, you could drive enough fiscal spending to potentially drive inflation or destroy your currency. But when your currency is backing every other currency, it's hard to do. Um, so, so what, I think what we have to be careful of in Bitcoin specifically is is stepping into a landmine that gives the Fed more room to do the exact same thing. Because it's not inflation that the problem is the destruction of our society and the centralization of all power in government that is a really long a long term or the, the, the negative implication. And, and you could get away with that because technology is going the other way. And so they could keep this, they could keep this narrative going for a long time and keep on going and keep going and going. But problem is it centralizes all control. You remove the free market from everything. And we know how that looks over history. So I, I like to think about it a different way. I like to think about it or, or to educate people in a different way. How could we as humanity, all every single person acting in our own best interests, 
look for more value in everything we do. And technology allows us to see more value in everything we do. We get more for less, but concurrently believe in a system that has to give us less value. Right. So, so when you believe in inflation, <laughs> it's like believing in fairy tale. Like it's just some, <laughs> you're making up a system to make prices go up all the time against the natural order of things. And no wonder that's breaking society because why do you think we use Google? Why do you think you use the apps on your iPhone? You're constantly use, looking for more value all the time in everything you're doing and human ingenuity tied to technology gives us that more for less on an escalate on, on an exponential path. Yet we live in a system that does exactly the opposite. And most people believe in that system that it's required, but how could it? <laughs> right. Like part of the feds mandate is so they seek, they seek price stability by targeting 2% inflation. So right there to me, like trying to attain price stability by increasing prices by 2%, uh, it's double speed. And, and Marty, keep, keep going on, on, on that. So, or, or we're trying to get full employment by essentially making labor cheaper, right? <laughs> because inflation is wage deflation. Right. The other side of the coin is making your labor cheaper so that so that you're trying to. So we're trying to get a full employment by paying you less. That, that's really the, the, the nut of it, what you're trying to do. So we're trying to keep you working forever as a slave. To con consolidate all control. Yeah. Well, and this goes back to Marty's uh, initial um, article that he referenced uh, or, or earlier in the in the. Oh, maybe it was in the last show I was doing, but somebody referenced uh, uh, the, the CNBC article, I think it was, yep. where they were like, uh, the, the benefits of high inflation is higher wages, not putting together that the wages are, are a lagging, uh, are going to lag the inflation and the purchasing power of, you know, your average nine to five worker is, is likely to not keep up yeah, with the... Uh, it wouldn't work yeah. if it was real terms. Yeah, they, they completely buried the lead. That was, uh, they were like, hey, don't worry. Your wages are going to increase in the last sentence. They're like, they're not going to increase anywhere near the, the rate of inflation. So. But it's, it's, it's worth, and, and, and here's, a, here's something to think about, at least. The, what would you do if you were Powell? What would you do if, if you were any central bank to, today? Because I'll tell you this, if you allowed deflation to happen, the entire system unwinds to zero. Like it just resets, every bank fails, every institution, every government fails. So if you knew what you were facing and they wouldn't let it keep unwinding, they would go in and then nationalize banks and everything else. But can you imagine what, what pain on the street would look like as that credit unwind that the government owns and everything else just kept going and there's nothing backing it, it's just credit. And so if you allow deflation on a credit system, it just keeps on unwinding. So knowing that, yet deflation is a stronger force from here in the future because of technology, it keeps on getting more and more powerful all the time. Knowing that, that you can't let it happen, what would you do? And the reason I say, say that is maybe they're not as 
stupid as they the, uh, they they'd keep printing. They keep <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> print the crap <laughs> out of everything. Great they, comment. They, they could they, they could head fake all they want. I'm going to ease. I'm or I'm going to ta- I'm going to quantitative tightening tightening. The market would collapse and it would keep collapsing and it would keep it would keep unwinding to zero. So would so you could you could try to target so you could say that you might and everything else, but eventually they have to keep printing no matter what. Um, so if you knew that, would, would you, might you back end rails to Bitcoin or, or something else on, 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 on the other side, like, might you try to do a regulatory framework that could, but if you signaled to the market, if you signaled to the market, you were all in on Bitcoin, it would all unwind too. Right. The whole entire global system would unwind immediately if uh, if the U.S. went heavy, said we're going into Bitcoin. So 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 it's just interesting to think about the game theory and think about maybe people are smarter than we think in this system, yet they cannot say to the market what they what what they're going to do. It's impossible. Hmm. So this is worth thinking about. <laughs> So, so uh, what's everybody's wager on the end game here? Is it just print until print until it breaks until there's no more faith in the U.S. dollar, or is there some interim thing where we actually shift? Like, a- if put it, and if um, if if they didn't, if they slowed down printing and everything else, and and the and things started to unwind, the U.S. dollar would get way stronger. And the re- and and everywhere else would get really weak. It would be a race to safety. So so the U.S. dollar isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, it's going to if, eventually the long term game is it's going to I I, I think we're going to it's going to be a Bitcoin uh, standard. It's going to look like that, but uh, but the, the U.S. dollar is not going anywhere anytime soon. So, so all other currencies are, are they're in they're in way worse shape. Yeah, China, they get the shit end of the stick, right? China has three hundred percent debt to GDP. If you don't count their dark pools of money, uh, Japan Japan's worse. Euro is worse. The, 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 all over the globe, the U.S. is is actually in relatives uh, speak relatively speaking, it's in a stronger position. That's why there would be a rush to safety. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. Like the, the Fed has two options, right? Like outright default, or which would be um, incited by the raising, like reversing the policy that they have now, or you default via inflation, which is seems to be the path. Default via printing, uh, which seems to be the path that the Fed uh, has taken. One's politically untenable in the short term. One's politically untenable in the long term. But it's like try to push that off as long as possible. Um, seems to be the strategy. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird, and I, I agree. I, th- I think they know exactly the position they're in. Um, they're, tra- they're completely uh, trapped. Completely yeah. trapped. I mean, you, you can go back to who was it? Um, uh, God, who was it in two thousand eight? I'm I'm having that... in my mind, but I know it's not Paul Volcker. It's a guy from Goldman Sachs, the bald guy. Um, uh, he, Bernanke. No, um, no, he was that was that's more recent. Paulson, Paulson, Hank Paulson. Mm-hmm. That's where I get the Paul mixed up. <laughs> Hank Paulson, and basically went to uh, 
George Bush at the time, who was transitioning to Barack Obama, and said, if we don't fix this problem, uh, there's not going to be money in the ATMs come next week. Like they knew it was that bad, and that was the solution with Mandel Current. And- Marty, and that was a global situation in 2008. So my company at that time was doing hundreds of millions of dollars, over $100 million around the world. We had LCs, letters of credit, counterparties at other banks. And there were three days, uh, three days in a row there. I knew that this was going to happen f- before it happened, because there were three days in the row, row there that, that we had money in the bank to ba- ba- back the LCs. No other corresponding banks would would take LCs. They just stopped taking them all around the globe. And so, so you realize the entire financial system had if was effectively when I said that credit collapse. Nobody could trust anybody else's account, and it was it was unwinding in really great speed. And remember, like we talk about five hundred billion then, and there were marches on Wall Street, and now we're talking about five trillion, and then another five trillion, and there's no marches. Um, it's it's just math. It has to be, and if it keeps going, it has to be that much, an order of magnitude bigger ten years from five years from now order of magnitude bigger. It's just, it has to, it's uh, because these two systems are moving exactly in opposite directions. Hmm. Um, Elise, how, how are you feeling about kind of this environment and, and Bitcoin juxtaposed against it? Like, are you, uh, do you echo Jeff's worry about kind of the, the macro environment? Well, I think it's a great discussion. So what I heard from both Marty and Jeff was um, a reference to the incentives of the system and how much transparency there can be about different stakeholders and what their incentives, their motivations may be. And I think that ties back to Bitcoin because in fact, actually what Satoshi did from my perspective is that he found a way to align the incentives of various actors in the system Um, that might be adversarial actors. And he aligned their incentives by the introduction of Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency. Um, And so, you know, and frankly, I think that Satoshi doesn't get enough credit for that. So we talk a lot about the technology, the software that he introduced, which was based on a couple decades of prior work around how to create a digital, a verifiably scarce digital currency. But what he did that went beyond that was to think about the psychology of actors in the system and how to align um, what they were incented to do in a way that didn't trust altruism, right? This is one of the things that differentiates Bitcoin from Ethereum or from other cryptocurrencies where you see this expectation that actors will act in a financial network in an altruistic way, right? So I don't know if you guys saw this, but last week there was a developer in the Ethereum space that wrote... Um, software um, to allow for miners to more easily reorg um, the blockchain and to get paid for it. Um, and, you know, it was it was um, informative to watch that conversation unfold on Twitter and to see the percentage of um, folks involved in the conversation I'd be surprised that folks were not going to be acting altruistically. Um, and Bitcoin doesn't assume that right? Satoshi didn't assume that. And so for that reason, we have a reliable monetary policy in Bitcoin. We're not talking today about um, refiguring Bitcoin's monetary policy to produce ultrasound money, right? That's not what we're doing. And that's because Satoshi put in the work 
to figure out what was wrong with the traditional system, to fix it, to introduce Bitcoin. And in doing that, not only did he solve the problems of the past, I think, but the problems of the future, what's been introduced by, for instance, Ethereum. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, it's, it's the, I mean, the difficult part where we're sitting right now is we see this, this, beautifully crafted system where those incentives all all align and and working in your own best interest is also in the best in interest of others for the most part um but the transition it, it necessitates the the destruction of the previous or the 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 failure um or painful transition from the previous system and so i don't I, I kind of don't know what to expect for that. Ben, just on that, the system was going to fail anyways. There was, there is no way that technology is congruent with an inflationary monetary system where we're, where we're going. Actually, human innovation, it, it, uh, human ingenuity isn't anyways. It, what, the, why it always blew up in, in time, to typically 80 or 100 year cycles or something like that, that is, is um, essentially governments inflation is just a hidden tax and they could get away with it because technology wasn't moving so fast so people didn't notice mm -hmm. and so it took a long time to build build up but today with technology moving so fast in the op opposite direction people are noticing and 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 so so any single system that has that that tries to drive inflation against technology today and into the future does so by con con uh, concentrating all power in very few hands, period. You have to have a system that allows for that deflation um, you, uh, to, to drive the abundance gained from technology to the broadest possible hands. Yep. I've never thought of that, that, that pace of innovation and quickening, changing the pace at which we recognize inflation. It's really... It's a really tight connection there. Like, yeah. Well, and and uh, Jeff, you always bring up the good point of of uh, you know we're measuring we're measuring inflation based on on uh, you know what we can attain uh, currently, but uh, with with the deflation of technology in the opposite direction, um, we should be <laughs> like the natural state of things is already things getting cheaper. So they're they're printing enough to undo that and more, so that things are are more expensive when they it should be going in the absolute opposite direction. Um, you so know, they, like they they think they're measuring from zero. Yeah, measuring from there. Thirty years ago, they might have been measuring from uh, minus one disinflation mm -hmm. rate. Now they're probably measuring from minus four or five. Yeah, and so so why why they keep missing. <laughs> Or, or is 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 that it's going the other way faster? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> that's that's the reason behind the low inflation rates is they're they're actually you know at a four or five to to whatever their goal was and well why aren't we hitting that two percent inflation rate up up until now? Well, it's I'd like to add to Elisa's point about the thinking about these networks as adversarial systems. And I, I'm very happy you highlighted that because I, I remember seeing the tweets too. It's like people were like, oh, you shouldn't do this. You should do like disclose this behind closed doors, patch it. And it's like, no, like 
as a Bitcoin or me personally, like I want people to attack the network at all times to find these pain points and, and so that we can build over them if need be uh, at every moment of the day. Like again, harpening back to the mining migration coming out of China, that's like an attack I'm actually excited to see because it's like we're testing the resiliency. And that's as somebody who actually believes in this technology and believes in Bitcoin, or if you think you believe in another cryptocurrency, like you should be actively trying to have the network attack and tested, especially at this point in time when it's relatively small so that you, you have more confidence that it'll be more, uh, at least somewhat robust at scale when the masses are, are using it. Absolutely. And I, I I'm going to kind of, I'm just mindful of time here, uh, and I do uh, I do love this topic, but I, I do want to um, round it out here. I think, I mean, the general sentiment here is, thank God there's an alternative, because as Jeff was saying, like there there was no way that this system was was going to be able to limp on forever, and so at least having this release valve available to people, no matter how painful that transition may be, at least it's there. At least it gives. Um, us that that outlet and I'm so happy that you know and that I think this is why uh, Bitcoiners tend to be um, an optimistic bunch in terms of I know we've just had a, a, a very foreboding uh, chat about all this but I think most of my Bitcoiner friends over the past year have been the most positive uh, uh, excited bunch about the future um, and I, I think that may be why but I'm going to round out this topic here Everybody in the chat, thank you for being there. Uh, and we're going to move on to our next topic. Uh, and, and I'm going to toss it to you, Elise. Uh, what has you feeling bullish this week? Okay, so maybe I'll get a little nerdy um, with my topic. So what I'm particularly bullish about is that the, uh, the trend of adoption, where we're seeing adoption happen, for instance, in El Salvador and other folks in emerging markets signaling that they want to be a fast follow is converging with the technological advancements of Bitcoin that are happening. And so El Salvador is adopting Bitcoin through Lightning Network um, largely based on the work, the protocol work that uh, Lightning Labs has offered with the L&D implementation of the Lightning Network. Um, at the very same time as advancements like Taproot at um, Bitcoin's core protocol level are adding um, like a, a, like featureful capability um, at the Lightning Network. And so I think the fact that folks are onboarding through Lightning right at the time as development is creating more robustness and more utility of the tech is incredibly auspicious for us. It suggests to me that folks are going to be able to have a really rich and full experience of Bitcoin by Lightning, by onboarding through Lightning. And so I, I think, um, you know, the world is our oyster. And I couldn't be more pleased but to see um, countries like El Salvador be early adopters here. I love this topic. I'm so glad you brought it up. I've been so stoked on Lightning. Um, and it, and I think you're right. It, it's kind of... It's the proliferation and people using lightning, I think is, is kind of hitting at a weird spot. I wish it would have hit like mid last year where you were seeing a lot of it. But of course, like, you know, you get into a bull market and you, you see a lot of things and a lot of new people. And, um, but it's the ease of use to just jump into lightning now comparatively to when I was initially tinkering with it in like, I think 2018, I played a little bit. 
it was not it was not super easy and if you want to get into the weeds still you can but man you can like a, a perfect example of this i think would be moon wallet m u u n and it's just it's a singular balance and you can accept main chain transactions and lightning transactions and it all reflects as a singular balance it's non custodial and it's just it's such an easy onboarding process to be like just download this wallet you know back it up like you would a normal bitcoin wallet but hey you you know you can send to and from on chain or or lightning and it automates everything that kind of experience and imagine you know a cycle out imagine like after the next having and you have a new group of people kind of joining the network how much improvement there will be around that experience um it's it's amazing to see i use lightning every single day now which is fantastic but uh you know i'll, I'll pass it to jeff and marty um wh what are you feeling in regards to uh the onboarding experience for for newbies as they're coming in and everything that's been built uh, over the course of the bear market it, it, from my perspective it, i think the, the network effect uh, same thing that would happen on the internet you can see that UX everything to get better and better and better on 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 top of this, and a lot of people's misunderstanding of Bitcoin on what it could be was same thing that they misunderstood the internet for what it could be, and so they didn't say they they it, we have a we all do we have we have a bias that we pro, we we project to the future our present reality um, instead of projecting what is going to happen on technology, and 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 so what you're talking about is really that i'll say myself too though my base case did not have el salvador coming on this early um and my base case didn't have el salvador coming on this early because i live in canada and 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 my world doesn't need lightning right now it, it doesn't provide a 10x over over existing but in el salvador it do does and i missed that how how somebody else's experience would drive would drive it that fast, even with upward volatility, that people would take it as a currency this early, um, and but what it's telling you is how much how how valuable it is in a whole bunch of other regions and how fast it's growing and it's just amazing. Um, so so even even today when we're looking at what you just talked about Moon Wallet or or Lightning, we're looking at today and we're projecting that future forward. And it's getting better and better and faster and more resilient all the time. So, so it, it, it to me, it's inevitable, um, but it, um, but it's really exciting. How about you, Marty? How are you feeling about onboarding noobs with lightning and other things? I'm very bullish. I mean, I've always been very bullish of the lightning network, particularly. And I think the the last two years specifically of everybody getting sort of distracted with DeFi and NFTs and all that and <laughs> getting pushed in that direction, Lightning be able to focus on building out the protocol and the implementations and the apps sort of in peace, in relative peace, if you will, uh, has been incredible. And just the adoption uh, has increased significantly. The usability has increased. I've been using it since the early days of Lightning as well. And just, I'd never... Have problems paying an invoice like i never have failed routes uh with any of the wallets that i've been using and like we've all mentioned the ux is getting better and that's one thing i think is pretty massive like moon like you described uh, from the sender perspective uh it, 
has really figured out an incredible UX. We don't even know which layer you're using. And I think there's many, many design uh, improvements that are still yet to be made, but it, it creates an extremely exciting landscape. So if you're a designer out there, uh, I wrote a newsletter about that this week, like the, the opportunity to, to design new UIs and experiences around interacting with the Bitcoin protocol uh, on behalf of users is, is massive. Like if you want to innovate in the design space, come to Bitcoin, come to Lightning and work on this stuff. Like one simple tweak, the, what spurred that newsletter was two Bitcoiners talking about uh, a little pain point they have with BTC Pay server where they, when they go to pay a BTC Pay invoice, uh, you need to choose. Do I want to pay main chain or lightning? And that's just like a, a point of friction for the user. We're like, hey, what I have to, why do I have to think about that? Uh, but there's a solution to it already. Like somebody responded to that. He was like, ah, this is annoying. I wish like we could fix this. Somebody's like, yes, you can create a QR code that has an on-chain address and a lightning network invoice like embedded in it. So like simple UX tweaks like that for the end user um, are right around the corner. And I think we're going to see lightning apps uh, particularly payment apps um that that are comparable to something like a, a venmo cash app alipay wechat whatever it may be uh, with the point and, and click ux for qr codes that is just going to make it much simpler and, and increase people's uh, comfortability with bitcoin because they're just going to be like oh it's just like any other app and then on top of that i mean just the applications beyond payment specifically like when you think about lightning it goes way beyond payments. Like you have the impervious team coming out; they're working on building an API that would interact with the Lightning network and allow you to build like VPNs and stuff like that. You have Sphinx Chat, which you're, you're embedding the Lightning network in the content space and making sure that, that people can monetize content uh, in, without advertising or any other means. Like it goes way beyond payments. And I don't think I think we're like on the top snowflake of the iceberg and uh, not even it <laughs> comes light. Yeah. I, I love the idea. Also, I was talking chatting with somebody about the whole idea of censorship resistant and encrypted chat via lightning, like just a, like messaging apps and stuff like that. That's, it's insane to me. And it didn't even, I didn't even think of that previously to, to lightning. You just, you're right. You, you default to payments and you don't realize how much, uh, fluid money. Yeah. Look you got Sphinx. Look at all these notifications of chatting via the lightning network. It's like, oh my, phone. yeah, it's, just it's crazy. Yeah. And, and I, I, like you, you get, uh, you, you stream sats, right? Your, your pod is, uh, is, uh, via what's the, what's it called? Um, Podcast. uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I same mine's listed on Breeze, and I'll get going directly to my node. I'll see like uh, you know ten sats at a time or something coming in every minute. Somebody listens to a a minute of the pod, which is it's crazy. And this is just like the initial. It's it, this conversation right here sounds like that time on Letterman where Bill Gates was describing <laughs> the internet, and he was like, "Well, like you could you could listen to a baseball game on it." And, and Letterman was like, well, I could just do that on the radio. And like, it's people, I, I don't, even I feel like I'm not fully recognizing what's going to be possible in a, you know, five years, 10 years. It's, it's insane. So can I add on that then? Yes. So yes. One step further. And Jeff talked about 
you know, like fitting things to the paradigm we live in and then recognizing opportunities um, outside of our own experience. So one of the areas of pushback that we've had about why Bitcoin is applicable or not to emerging markets has been, can you expose folks in emerging markets to Bitcoin's volatility, right, in the exchange rate? Um, but now with Taproot, one of the things, Taproot puts us on a path to be able to denominate lightning channels um, in other currencies. So you can have a USD, for instance, denominated lightning channel um, by having a DLC within that channel. Now you can remove volatility for folks in emerging markets who just might want access to the tech, to the free and instant global transaction capability of the lightning network. They can opt into doing that in a way that doesn't expose them to Bitcoin's exchange rate. Maybe that's like their checking account, right? And their savings account could still be in Bitcoin. So... This is what makes me bullish. It's the idea that Bitcoin Core Protocol is moving in this direction, Lightning is moving in this direction at an infrastructure and at an app layer, um, and emerging markets are coming on board. And I think that, it, you know, that's what, in, in my mind, that's what Bitcoin was introduced to do is to provide financial tools for all of us versus a, a select few. Um, and Marty said rightly that the market has been really distracted by DeFi, right? What bothered me about that was that it was so niche in its um, mm -hmm. in who it who it was relevant to, right? It's a um, hundred thousand traders, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Um, but even there, we saw this week maybe another thing to be bullish about was Jack Dorsey say that at Square we're going to do DeFi on Bitcoin. We think that that's the right platform. So, you know, little by little or all at once, as Jeff said, even in our most optim optimistic scenario, did we think El Salvador would introduce Bitcoin as legal tender in 2021? I didn't have that on my bingo card either. And so the pace of adoption and the pace of technological innovation um, has just been insane. And on top of that, the real skill level and um, just grit of founders in the space, I, I couldn't be more bullish. Elise, I'm wondering if you could just quickly, because I heard you talk about this on uh, uh, with um, President Pish uh, about the idea of of having uh, a, U, a U.S. dollar denominated Lightning Channel and how you don't need a separate token for that. And I thought it was such an interesting concept. Could you just briefly outline what something like that might? look like because you were in in the in the pod you were basically dismayed that you would even need a token you said it's, it's totally useless to to inject well one. you could do i think you could do both so i'm gonna leave it up to you know so my what i love about my work is that you know i'm just here to see the vision that folks have for the tech and how you know how they're able to introduce maximum value to their user community so I think you'll do both. I think we'll see assets, actually other assets besides Bitcoin present um, on Bitcoin's lightning layer, but also what you'll be able to do using DLCs is to have a Bitcoin collateralized channel that's denominated in um, USD, say, um, or another sort of fiat currency. And so what that would look like is that the other side of the channel would essentially have a long Bitcoin position. Um, assuming Bitcoin's historical trajectory, um, you know, continues um, measured by exchange rate, and then someone holding Bitcoin basically, but denominated in, in USD. And I can imagine how that would be immediately relevant in places like El Salvador um, for the use case of remittance. 
And then the question is, um, you know, if it's even, we, it, it almost looks like not remittance anymore, right? Just a global financial network where people can send value back and forth uh, without the friction that's existed in the um, traditional remittance system. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I, I love that idea of kind of that balanced. I mean, I, could you, could you run into issues where, you know, if, if people start, um, you know, in an instance of a, an extended bear market where nobody wants to take the other side of that, uh, that, that dollar denominated channel. Right. And also because it's fully collateralized, it can withstand a certain range of volatility. Um, not a, you know infinite amount of volatility. And so um, maybe perhaps that's why having an actual asset traded on Lightning makes more sense. But the opportunity for multiple sorts of um, you know technology solutions to exist and compete here, I think will be great. And we're, I'm just, it's one of the things I'm most looking forward to um, for Q4 or for early 2022. Awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, if anybody else wants to add any final thoughts to this, uh, this topic, feel free. No, I, I mean, we're talking about lightning, but DLC is specific. At least what you just described the contract for difference, right? That's, that's, you know, the, that's how they create that stable coin. That's what that. The, right. So you, so DLCs, discrete log contracts that can, um, you know, for sake of the audience, I know it's a, um, you know, very, um, technology sophisticated audience that you have. But basically what a DLC does is it allows you to incorporate real world data into Bitcoin as programmable money. Um, and so a DLC uses data from an Oracle to say that this is the exchange rate and then that exchange rate can help define the channel. Um, some folks doing really great work here are, for example, the guys at Sherdbit. So you know those guys, that's Chris Stewart. Um, that's um, Nadav, Ben, um, Carmen, those guys doing really incredible work. Of course, um, you can imagine that some of the teams building Lightning um, Network implementations are, are thinking about these things. Ryan Gentry, for instance, at Lightning Labs has talked about this. You, you know that Atomic Finance is doing DLCs on Bitcoin's core protocol. They'll move up. I presume that's for you know Matt and Tony to decide, um, but I'd imagine that if there were efficiencies in offering DLCs on Lightning, that they would move up. Um, you know, and it won't just those are the early movers. But I, I imagine that founders will be drawn, or I hope they will, um, will be drawn to this technology and will find ways to make it useful very broadly, including to folks, um, for instance, in El Salvador. Oh bullish I, I love the lightning chat i love seeing what uh what can what can happen with it uh and i i have had tony from atomic uh on the uh show before and he's he's fantastic so i'm very excited to see them continue to build as well um great topic i'm gonna round it out and uh we're gonna move on to our final one everybody that's watching right now Thank you for being here, of course. Smash like, give it a share. Uh, we're going to toss it over to Jeff for our final reason for being bullish. Jeff, what are you excited about this week? I don't know if it's specifically this week. I think a lot of this uh, is was, hard. Was uh, probably if I had to say one thing, the thesis is stronger today on Bitcoin than it's ever been. You can see what's, ha what's happening. It's getting stronger and stronger. Yet the price isn't. The users are. Prices and when I think about something like that, um, I think about 
on a any asymmetric bet, almost unlimited upside. For there to be that asymmetric bet, there have to be a huge amount of the audience that don't understand it. It has it's required, um, and I think that's what you have in um, so in, in Bitcoin today. So many people misunderstand it because of that. The other thing it could signal is we are either all wrong <laughs> or, or it is the best asymmetric bet of our lifetime. Um, and, and I don't think we're wrong. And, and so, so when I see how many people misunderstand it and how many people are, are, are throwing FUD or believe in the energy, uh, it, believe in climate can be solved from an inflationary monetary policy, <laughs> it just makes you scratch your head. Um, but, uh, um, but so when I see all of that happening and it's still holding in here where the price is um, and, and it being anti-fragile, it's it's hard not to get a, a hard not to, a hard to think of where this goes afterwards. Now, I am not in it for the money that I'm to make out of that. That's not the. I'm actually in it for way bigger because I think it's, I think it's actually a requirement for humanity to survive. I, I, it's actually that big to me because I don't want my kids growing up in a centralized uh, in a centralized uh, in a world where very few people own everything with artificial intelligence and robotics mm -hmm. because that's the choice. That's a, the, uh, the, the, and, and I believe that if Bitcoin doesn't do this, if a Bitcoin isn't that, then that's the world they're going to grow up in. Yeah. And so um, it's a good thing. I believe that Bitcoin's going to, uh, to grow like this. And, and I look through historical examples and I've never seen a technology that empowers humanity, empowers individual rights and freedoms in humanity that has been stopped by government ever. It's, I understand why sometimes they want to try to stop it, stop it. But if you look at that type of technology, decentralized technology that, that does what we're talking about, how could that actually be stopped? And, and, and number two, if I go a little deeper in that, if people knew what they were doing, in trying to stop it. I don't think they do. But if they actually did the math on what it looks like after their life is over and maybe their kids life, they would want not want to stop this technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would echo what you're saying in that most people don't understand it. And the, and the reason and we all kind of chuckled when when you know, or we're all wrong, and we all kind of laugh, but it it's in the quality of the arguments on the other side of the aisle, right? It's, it's stuff that we've seen a million times over, over the past X and X number of years, depending on how long you've kind of been in the space, but it's been dispelled multiple times. And, and the, the conflicting FUD where, you know, too much mining in China is bad. China banning, Bitcoin mining is bad and just things that don't mesh. It's, it seems like it's just they're throwing kind of narratives at the wall to see what will stick. Um, whereas the, the kind of narrative of the benefits of Bitcoin and what it's trying to do have been, in my opinion, pretty damn cohesive uh, over the past number of years here. So 
it 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 just seems like a a, a better put together argument on one side as opposed to the other. But uh, I'll, I'll I'll toss it to the rest of the panel, Elise or Marty, if you want to chime in on on Jeff's idea here. Well, Jeff said, you know, or maybe we're wrong. And the reason why I chuckled was because the fact that Bitcoiners tend to, you know, evaluate to that level of depth and to um, engage at opportunities for pessimism and think all the way through it. That's another reason why I'm bullish, actually. I think it's differentiating for the community in that the we are folks that, um, you know, Did Oh, sorry. I think you you froze for a second. Anyways, it was just the past like five seconds or so. So I, so Jeff makes me bullish when he thinks like a Bitcoiner by saying, by entertaining the idea that we could be wrong and thinking through, um, you know, the sorts of uh, thinking through the logic all the way. And so I, I, I guess I'm repeating myself probably, but I think that that's differentiating for the Bitcoin community. Um, and I, I hope that we continue to hold on to that sort of level of critical thinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw this, uh, well, I mean, watching Marty and, and Matt the other day. Marty was uh, chatting about uh, the exodus of miners from from China. And, and Matt was playing devil's advocate and just kind of saying like, well, what if they're not? And I know, Marty, you've got kind of like the, the inside line on a lot of this stuff, but, you know, Matt was just playing the part of of good Bitcoiner, you know. I don't I don't know these things for certain. Like I I haven't seen them with my own two eyes. So how can I be sure? Um, and I think I, I love to see that type of discourse amongst Bitcoiners on the outside looking in. It, 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 to the average person, it's like we're all just horrible to each other, and we're all <laughs> you know we all just hate each other. But really, it's just it, Bitcoin teaches that ethos of don't trust verify and always kind of question the, the, you know, what's, what's the opposite outcome here. Um, and yeah, I, th I think you're very right to, to find that a bullish aspect. But I, I, um, I want to add to that because I actually don't think that we are horrible to each other. I think that what's asked in the Bitcoin space is that you can defend your arguments and that you can think through the trade-offs so that no one's given a pass to say, you know, this is my hypothesis and I don't need to think about what it means for decentralization. I don't need to think about what it means for um, users or for developers or other stakeholders. And so, you know, while that can feel jarring in other spaces, I think in Bitcoin, it's just understood that you have to be thoughtful in your work. And that's why you see the sorts of the levels of core developer talent, the level of um, entrepreneurial talent accumulate here because those are the folks that can defend their work and feel confident enough to do it. Awesome. Marty, do you want to add on to uh, anything that Jeff said here? No, I, I completely echo what Jeff said. I think this is imperative that we do this for our children, for our grandchildren, for descendants. Like we're at a critical juncture in human history, one that will be studied very uh, intently in <laughs> centuries from now, uh, literally probably the next the two decades before this, and after this, um, or transitioning into the digital age, I mean, you do it correctly. I mean, you have all the central bankers of the world, Augustine Carstens, Christine Lagarde, Jerome Powell, uh, coming out, and the People's Bank of China coming out and saying, we're going to do this central bank digital currency. And when you hear them describe how it's going to operate, it's 
frankly frightening. I mean, Augustine Carson saying, hey, people like to uh, compare the CBDCs to cash, but it's not like cash at all. We don't know where people are spending uh, their $100 bills or what they're doing with it. Like with the CBDC, we had the technology to issue the currency and then, and then know how it's spent and how it's being transacted with and we can control who people can tr transact and they're bragging about this out in the open they're saying this is what we want <laughs> the system got yeah jerome powell on capitol hill this week we're not going to need stable coins or bitcoin once we have our cbdc like it, it, it makes them obsolete completely i mean again whether or not they're they're ignorant and competent or they know what's going on but they have to play this role uh bitcoin's <laughs> reason for being is is to compete with uh the the currency being issued by the fed whether it's the digital dollar that they have now or the cbdc that they produce potentially at some point in the future we'll, we'll see if they're even able to do it but um it, it's imperative it's like anybody listening to this is imperative that we get this right we have two directions the digital panopticon and uh, where very few people own all the things and they can control what you do or we get freedom in the digital age via bitcoin i think it's that serious yeah, it, Marty, can I build on, because you and I are totally, uh, totally agree there, completely agree there. Um, but I think because most people don't understand this, and I try to, um, and we, and, and let's say we do, um, and where, where this goes, and what's happening, as Elise said, is we're thinking this through not just the next step, but the step after that, the step after that, and very few people can do that. And, and when they're, when they're stuck in an existing system, um, and let's say you can't pay your your food bills or your rent bill and everything else, and you're looking for a job, and the government says, I can give you a job um, or I can give you some money. The more that the government does this, the more, the more people will trust the government to solve the problem. It's a big deal. It is a really, and the more the government gets control of the airwaves and the and the control of the messaging and everything else, and if you look through history, this is how government centralizes over and over, and and people vote in those governments because they're so hurting, and so we're we're entering a, a period of society today where that's what it looks like, and what I think we need to do in Bitcoin, and and this is, um, we could look very much like we're wearing tinfoil hats right now to what most people know. And we got to be really careful and, and, and uh, on that. You do a great job on your show to be able to, but I would say your audience, uh, but you really do, but your take, audience take it away. I put the tinfoil hat over my eyes. But, 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 <laughs> but, but again, your, but your audience is mostly about a, a bunch of Bitcoiners and we need to make this more broad. And so one, one thing I would say specifically to the whole climate debate, debate, we shouldn't fight the battle down here, whether there's climate change or not climate change. And in realizing it in this way, 90% of the people that are on the planet today believe there is climate change. And so further alienating those people makes, makes Bitcoin harder to understand. What we should do is elevate the level of that conversation to a different level and say, okay, so how do you suppose you can solve climate change by manipulating money to grow forever? So more and more things forever. And, and now, now you put the onus on the system because inflation equals climate change. Mm -hmm. 
it is exactly the same thing. Now you put the onus on the system to come up with an answer for why that isn't true. And if you if people have to answer that question, it becomes impossible to answer that question. Impossible to answer that question out of the system. And then they look for another system that can 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 solve that. So if you have 90% of the people that believe something, you can either fight them head on <laughs> on their beliefs, but you won't change their mind or move the conversation to a to a different. And that, that that's why I think I think in Bitcoin and in our entire community and everything else, we need to think of now. Maybe it's coming anyways, and it doesn't matter, right? Maybe none of this matters. None of what I'm doing matters, no matter what. But I would like to think if I can get one more person on it, then that's a good thing. If I can get one more person, if I can, if I can reduce the power that the government has by the natural power of printing money to be able to give people more individual rights and freedoms, that's a good thing. So I, I, I try to think about it in a in martial arts. You use an opponent's um, momentum against them. This is the same thing. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I love I, that a lot, but I, I do I do appreciate that um, that approach. And, and inflation is climate change. I like, I like that one. Uh, but, it is, it is, but it is. Have somebody prove that wrong. It yeah. is climate change. It's it. it, uh, it <laughs> we're going to grow forever on a finite planet by by destroying currency forever. So mm -hmm. prices move up forever. So you need more things. So you need more jobs forever to to keep grow. Inflation mm -hmm. equals climate change. Yeah, in in an age of uh, automation, not in, in an age of automation where where uh, where where things are turning to information and information is becoming free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll just, just have a bunch of people digging, digging holes in a field, <laughs> giving them an hourly wage to do so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's, I, I, I think I'm at a point where I'm, I'm um, wary of the transition, but I'm, optimistic about the outcome from said transition and uh um you know i i have high hopes for my children and for their children and uh i'm i'm bullish on uh all the bitcoin babies i've been seeing happen lately uh so uh and mine included uh so i'm 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 excited for the future and and what we might be able to give to them and what may, we might be able to fix for them uh, in the process for that. Um, so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to round it out here. Uh, I will say thank you guys so much for, for joining, uh, on, on this show. I'm going to toss it down the line one last time, just to get, uh, you guys to once again, remind people where they can find you and, uh, any final thoughts that you may have. So, um, Marty, why don't, why don't you lead us up, let people know where they can find you and, uh, any final thoughts you might have. I hang out on Twitter a lot. You can find me at Marty Bent. Um, and I just like to echo what Jeff said there at the end. I mean, lean into conspicuous consumption. It really does a lot of damage to the the environment and makes us consume more. Whereas, arguably, if we had a sound money standard via Bitcoin, uh, the opportunity cost of that consumption rises. So you're you're forced to be more efficient, which would help the environment. 
<laughs> Absolutely. How about you, Elise? Uh, where can people find you and any final thoughts? Well, there's a link for founders on stillmark.com to reach out. I I'm on, have open DMs on Twitter, maybe a mistake. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I, I, it was a lovely way to spend a Friday, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Jeff, uh, one last time, where can people find you and any final thought you may have? I'm with Marty uh, on, on best places on Twitter at Jeff Booth and uh, Marty, Elise, Ben, uh, this was awesome. Uh, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, this has been yeah. a pleasure. Thanks for putting this together, Ben. Lisa, it was a pleasure to meet you finally. Awesome, Thank guys. You. Thank you. Thank you, guys, all. Uh, I'm going to cut your audio video and do uh, my outro here, but all of you are welcome back anytime. Thank you all. And uh, everybody watching here, thank you so much for being here. Now, I was talking earlier, and I was talking about a block clock, um, and I was trying to think of, of the best way to do this. Uh, you know, I was talking about uh, all the comments in here. And, um, and I'm just kind of seeing who, who stuck it out. We still got 280 people in here. And I've got to say, there was one moment during the show, there was a comment that, that gave me a good giggle. And, uh, and I hope that the person is still here. Uh, the accountant, <laughs> the Bitcoin corporation, uh when he said print the crap out of everything and that gave me <laughs> i i that gave me a a a good laugh uh it was perfectly timed with what jeff was saying so um dude if you trust me enough with your information to send you a block clock um <laughs> yeah you were very quiet during the show with non-stop caps locks uh dude if you trust me with your information to uh ship a block clock to you i can do that uh what i need you to do is just shoot me a a quick email um and uh, i'm gonna have to verify in some way shape or form who you are uh best way to do that or you can add me on twitter uh, my twitter handle is just btc sessions or the email is btc sessions at gmail.com um, and i will do my due diligence to make sure this is the right person but just let me know that you're on the show and we'll chat and we'll figure some stuff uh yeah small caps are broken i'm sure man um anyways guys uh the accountant the bitcoin corporation reach out to me uh we'll get chatting and um and i'll make sure that uh yeah, via Twitter. Cool. What's your Twitter handle? Put your Twitter handle in the chat right now, and I'll make sure that I have the right person. Um, and yeah, everybody else that's watching, of course, thank you so much for being here. As always, make sure you hit like, sub, share. All of those things help so much. They get this in front of more eyeballs. And uh, I, you know, I always love having you all here. Um, also, if you want to help the show in another way, you hit up uh, the sponsors that I mentioned previously. Leaden. BitBuy, BitRefill, Keystone, and the Bill Foddle over at privacypros.io. And finally, if you really liked what you saw, let me bring it up here. You can always drop me a Bitcoin tip via my tippin.me page. Super easy. Or sorry, not tippin. Huh, what am I doing? I'm, a, I'm on strike. I'm a strike man now. My strike.me 
page, strike.me slash BTC sessions. If you head there, you'll be greeted with a screen. You can type in any amount you like. You hit the tip button and you're greeted with either a lightning invoice or if you click to the right, a regular Bitcoin address. And both will work just fine and dandy. So uh, anybody, and I've been seeing some of those pour in from time to time. So thank you guys for the sats. Always much appreciated and they do help the show. Um, but uh, the accountant, I see you there, CDCM. 99. I will hit you up, uh, make sure I'm following you. Uh, but everybody else, thank you for watching. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I will see you guys next time for your daily session. And let me get my <laughs> splash screen. Your daily session. Have a good weekend, guys. See ya. Total